Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Freak, joined by my colleague. He's our Big Ten insider. He's also Reiner Sabin, uh, who's pulling a little bit of double duty at Jim Harbaugh's press conference this Monday. I could not be there. I was in Minneapolis uh, for Big Ten media days. And that, Reiner, is why we have a packed show today. Uh, as the kids say, it is double dip season. It's exciting times, you know, football and basketball merging. Is that the word? Yeah. yeah, football and basketball merging so that you uh, you are pulled in two different directions and uh, are overwhelmed. <laughs> exciting <laughs> times. Say, you, could, you could have given me 75 adjectives to describe what these next two months are, and I'm not sure if exciting uh, would, would have cracked that list, would have been even near it. Um, but in a way, it is. It, it obviously is because um, football, there's – a ton going on in basketball. Um, I know it feels like it just sort of parachuted in here, but uh, but there, there was a buzz in the building. I mean, I was talking to Zach Eady yesterday, holding the baseball, and when I tell you, he was he made this thing look like a ping pong ball. Uh, and then, I mean, just uh, you got uh, even even I mean, from Purdue, I mean, very loaded MSU loaded. So it's just it's easy in in our circle, right, in Michigan to to forget, especially this year. It is so football. And that's what we're going to talk about first and foremost here today again. But it's easy to forget that basketball is just right around the corner, Reiner. So we're going to get into that at the end. Yeah, Unfortunately, I think football is just so overwhelmed basketball as far as the public interest recently. And I, I think it has to do, obviously, with, you know, the one and done phenomenon and all this uh, you know, movement between squads. You don't, know, you, you don't know your team year to year. And I think, you know, that's one benefit that, like, with MSU, for instance, they have all their guys, you know, back. Plus, they've got some new newcomers coming in. And then, whereas with Michigan, it looks like one of those teams again that's in in transition. And so, it's hard to get a real feel for any of these teams. And so, I think that's why, you know, you you're starting to see, and maybe you're starting to see that a little bit in football too. But basketball, it's it's been an issue for for many years, and I think it's you know reduced the interest in the sport in, in general. Yeah, well, there there are there are new faces, um, but um, many we're getting to know uh, who, who I've been getting to know a couple mm-hmm. of minutes over the summer, and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what what they sort of bring. But again, first things first, uh, it, it is still football. So, and of course, it's a it is a Wednesday show for Thursday, so we got the picks too. So here's how we're going to do it: A block Michigan football. Jim Harbaugh contract. He talked about it. What's it mean? Uh, he does not care what the critics say about his uh, his team's schedule. Um, maybe we'll talk about James Franklin. I think that was misinterpreted uh, and where he fits into all of that. And then uh, Michigan's dominance uh, in the third quarter once again. Mike Elston uh, credited something that I think we didn't think he was going to credit. So, um, so, so we'll talk about that. Then Andrew Burkle joins us. We'll get into the picks. We'll take it national college football. And then once we've put a bow on football, that's when we get uh, into hoops, Reiner. 
Yeah, it should be an interesting show altogether. I mean, we'll cover a lot of bases here. And base number one, uh, where we said we needed to start. Uh, you were there. I'm going to let you take it. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was asked about the contract. Did you ask him? Who, no, I did not. No, you, no, you don't no, have to say no, who asked him. No, no, there were there were a couple of people who asked him, and uh, obviously he he mentioned that his focus is on the season, and you know that that's something that is going to be handled, you know, down the road uh, potentially. Uh, it'd be interesting if it happened, you know, during the season. But I, I think his you know pre- preference would be to have it handled afterwards. Um, and uh, but at the at the same time. He expressed interest in having, you know, a contract extension, uh, new new contract, new terms, uh, and as you said, it's a sign of feeling wanted, and the fact that he, um, you know, uh, thinks that any time a contract is given, it's reflective of the employer's appreciation of what he's doing, and he's referenced this before, uh, and this contract extension has been an issue or a topic of discussion since January um, when he flirted with the NFL again. Uh, but that was also around the time that the draft notice of allegations regarding the NCAA investigation was uh, happening. And so I think that kind of tabled things for a while. Um, and so uh, we're kind of at a point where, you know, it, is it going to happen or isn't it going to happen? And it seems like it's trending more towards it will happen. Of course, I don't know if that, necessarily precludes him from seeking more NFL opportunities. That's going to be interesting to see if there is a new contract, uh, what the buyout is, and that will largely dictate what uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan is. I mean, it's, uh, that's the big, that's the big, you know, you know, rub in the contract is, is the buyout. That's certainly uh, at at least what it seems to be. And, it's hard to figure how it could be anything else, right? When you have this level of winning uh, and, and this level of success. And now there are some, I don't know how far we want to get into it. Uh, I mean, some people are saying, uh, have gone as far as to say that uh, Jim Harbaugh and and the AD, uh, Ward Manuel and the president, Santa Ono, are all on the same page. And um, this is just a formality um, and, and, and it's going to come. Although, like you said, this has been a talk for a year. I would argue it's been a talk longer than that, right? Since he took the the, the pay cut uh, after the 2020 season. Uh, well, they, to- they had well, they again they had the extension again where they basically gave him back the salary he was earning before then and then some. Uh, so they had that contract extension that came after the uh, the, the Vikings interview. The Vikings interview, and so right. yes, right after the, which was after, after the first title, right, right, and, and so. And the, and then, you know, Jim. But that just brought him back to the baseline level sure. that he was operating at, yet he had then beat Ohio State and won a Big Ten title, right? So, right, even, right. so yes, they did bring him back to that baseline. But I would argue, even starting then, he's like, I just did what you've asked me to do. And all you're going to do is pay me to for what for what has already happened. Like, And, and I mean, well, I get it. There's, there, there are still things to – there are still bigger fish to fry, you could say. But um, I, that's my point in that just saying – you could even argue this has really been simmering for even longer than uh, than than the nine months. Sure, the pay cut influenced probably his interview with the Vikings, and then ultimately, uh, but then but then he didn't get the job at the Vikings, and Michigan still obviously gave him the contract extension. It adjusted his contract, and so and then also Harbaugh 
promised Ward Manuel uh, after the interview with the Vikings that it was going to be a one-time deal. Obviously, it wasn't. And so I think there's some, obviously, tension between the two two sides over that and within within the administration uh, uh, as far as that's concerned. And, you know, not everybody's going to be on the same page. I mean, I don't think it's as uh, severe the the whatever animus or, you know, antagonism that exists between, you know, whatever Ward and and Jim and the speculation about what their relationship, I don't know if it's as bad as people per se, but there's obviously some probably disagreements that happen between the two, <laughs> the two men. Uh, uh, and it, it largely has to do with some of the actions that both have taken. I mean, you yeah, have, I don't, pay, I don't know. have the pay cut and you have these interviews that Jim has done. And so, it creates a lot of instability within the within the uh, the program. So it's uh, and the athletic department in general. Neither party is innocent in in that relationship in in how the relationship has developed to this point, right? Each is sort of not perfectly acted in good faith as you as you would want the other side of, exactly. of the dyna- of as or as you would hope the other side of the dynamic would. And I mean that's been evidenced as recently. As this offseason, when Santa Ono, President Santa Ono, was tweeting about this new contract, it's in the works, we've got it under control, Jim's our guy, right? I mean, I mean, we all, that raised a red flag to all of us immediately, right? It's like, why is the president stepping in to sort of like, like, like dispel any notions or rumors? And so, and I'm not, so I'm not speaking too directly on the, the, the level of, of amicability uh, that that is the relationship between Jim Harbaugh and and Ward Manuel. What I'm saying is there are there are public optics uh, that show it's clear it's 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 not kumbaya uh, as as I already said. And I mean the fact that th- that this new contract is still not done is just more of that. Now I now Ryan I want I guess I want to ask you you how how do you feel do you think Michigan should just right kind of blank check no I, I mean i don't think that any school should ever do that i mean it's uh it, it's a case where there's a lot of you know moving parts here i mean you know how much does the administration want to you know concede that the football program is more powerful than uh all the other arms at the university and so you've got to be conscious of that and where the football program fits in the landscape of the university and so yeah, I think that the, you know they have a lot of things to consider and and how they want to give this contract, and also you know you have the NCAA investigation hanging over uh, the situation, and uh, you know how does the optics of giving him a contract extension play out uh, as it relates to uh, Harbaugh and if he has to go in front of the committee uh, on infractions? I mean, they're they're going to take into account regard they're human beings, and so they're making the decision, and they're going to see if the university is going to reward. Jim Harbaugh, you know, in this situation, I don't know, you know, that's the best optics for, you know, given the situation and the uh, tenuous nature of the uh, NCA investigation and what it can mean for Michigan going forward. So, yeah, I think they, they've got to be conscious of all these different factors uh, before they, you know, throw the bag at, at Harbaugh. Is, is this a bye, is this a bye week thing or Am I right in saying, like, if this is not able to be a bye week thing, and I mean, clear, like, there are so many levels. I don't know if this is something that you could hash out then. It feels like Michigan's window to get this done um, is it, it, is not that wide, right? And and now someone might say, "What do you mean? He's he's only in his second year of a five year deal." 
I would not be um, anywhere near as confident this offseason. He's clearly shown, as you just talked about, that even though he said the Minnesota Vikings thing was a one-time deal, it obviously wasn't. He talked to Denver. He talked to Carolina. And now look at the quarterbacks who are entering this class, right? Look at some of the potential. I mean, when you just start mapping out potential landing spots for quarterbacks, for for coaching candidates, some that he may have ties to, right? I mean, just you you just start connecting dots, and it's like if so, if something's not like like when is the timeline for for this for this? Yeah, contract to, to I don't happen? think I don't think Cause he said because he just said he's like I'm in the season. I mean, now yeah. it's not that we can just take him completely at his word. We know it's it's all about reading between the lines, but it, this is a very big thing to to get done mid year. Yeah, and I don't know if the extension means anything. Again, it goes back to the buyout, and uh, if his real you know goal in life is to win a Super Bowl, and he has the NFL opportunity presented to him, I mean, it, buyout it, right it, now is yeah. goes down to a million and a half, right? In, and in the last and it was structured January, and it was right? structured that it was structured that way because he wanted the potential to seek other opportunities. That's why you have a lower buyout. So. I mean, again, it, even if there is an extension, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things because unless the buyout is so prohibitive that uh, he can't go anywhere. Right. No, but what I'm talking about is getting it done now to deter him to not leave. I'm still Reiner. I'm not convinced that he I mean, that if, if a contract's not done, that he sticks around again. I don't I don't. No, well, but, I that, but I don't know if it is, if it is done. He sticks around anyway. I mean, again, if he if he has that opportunity to go to the NFL, you know, and the buyout is. Well, I mean, he's not going to sign. He's not going to sign a contract. Why? In, it, 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 you, think, you think he would sign? You think he would he, sign a contract? He, he say, say in the bye he, week. He signed a contract, and in a month, you're not talking a, about the same year. You're talking about down the road. Well, no, I mean that was only ten months after the fact that he went to a uh, he went on, you know talked to Denver after he signed the contract extension. Uh, after the Vikings interview. So you think in the same offseason or same what? season period, he might sign, he, you're saying, hold on, that there's a chance Jim Harbaugh signs a contract extension and that like to Michigan and then later this offseason just says, actually, yeah, never mind. I'm going to the NFL. There's no, there's no, I mean, it depends on what opportunities are available. I mean, I don't think he, I don't think he's assessing it necessarily just based on what Michigan does. It's what, what, what's available to him. He's not I mean, putting, it, pa- he's not putting pen to paper. Until he knows that he's staying beyond well, that, this. Well, that, well, that's what beyond I'm saying. This year. Well, well I mean, fine. He, he might not sign it. I mean, that's the thing. Like they could, they could offer him this contract extension and work and oh, leak it. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the possibility. But uh, there's also, you know, a lot of things that he has to consider too. What's the future of the program? I mean, again, he he says that 20 players are going to be drafted off this roster potentially. And then you, you factor in the, the enormous schedule, you know, difficulty of the schedule in 2024. And then you have the looming fallout from the NTA, but is he going to get suspended more? I mean, the NTA just, the Division One Council approved a bunch of uh, those clauses. Yeah. 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 Modifications regarding uh, punishments for individuals in NCAA cases. And so uh, where a play, uh, coach could have to be suspended, not just the game day, but the entire week of the game. And so there's in the there's future. A lot, yeah. And there's, yeah, it, there's a, the, there's a potential, again, those, those rules are poss- possibly going to be enacted as soon as January. So if they are, does that affect uh, Harbaugh as it relates to his cases, assuming that there's going to be more punishment potentially handed down to him. So there's a lot of factors to consider 
here. And he, he has to consider all of them. And Michigan has to consider a lot of different factors before it, it agrees to a, an extension of the magnitude that we're potentially talking about. I mean, look what in East Lansing, Exhibit A, when you when you are trying to strut like when you're trying to capitalize on the moment. Right. Look, I mean, I'm not comparing the two coaches, but it's just it. Patience can be prudent, I guess, is 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 sort of the point. Well, Even I, with I someone as on both sides, on both sides a, to make sure you are making the best decision. Yeah. And it's a dynamic environment right now, a very dynamic environment. And so they you know, there's a lot of things that balls in the air, so to speak, uh, regarding the, the contract and uh, all the different factors that you know, could be in play uh, that can influence the terms of it and what Jim Harbaugh wants to do and what the administration wants to do based on all these different factors like we alluded to, including, obviously, first and foremost, the NC investigation that, again, seems to have delayed the talks in the first place. Uh, you know, the, again, this was a topic of dis- discussion all the way back in January. It, it, it is one of the larger. Ha- I mean, it's it's a big hang up with with so much uncertainty about the future. It's hard to plan for the future, I guess, is the point. Uh, okay. And then also, Jim Harbaugh doesn't really want to talk about it right now. Um, moving on, because he said, I'm in the middle of the season. I mean, the day Jim Harbaugh wants to publicly talk about his contract will be the first, whether it's in season or out of season. But that I guess that's another point. Um what he is willing to talk about is his schedule and how he does not care uh, what people think of it. Uh, Michigan just continues to sort of smash away at, at, at opponents and Indiana's up next <laughs> on that list. Yeah, there's a, um, a schedule that obviously is not something that is seen by nationally is very challenging for Michigan. But again, Michigan has played within itself and uh, done the things that they need to show that they are a a top-level team and the execution has been particularly on point these last two games uh, across the board. And, uh, you know, Indiana is not going to pose much of a challenge. I mean, they've had a lot of turmoil. Uh, OC Walt, Walt Bell was fired. Rod Carey was uh, installed over the bye week uh, as his replacement. Uh, they replaced the quarterback in week two, and now it's Taven Jackson. And uh, yeah, just uh, the this team is obviously Vegas doesn't expect them to to pose much of a challenge. The line is thirty three and a half or thirty four, and so it it just doesn't seem like Michigan's probably going to be tested much until. Uh, that Penn State game in November. I mean, the schedule is very much backloaded, but uh, in spite of that, Michigan has played extremely well and they've executed well and uh, and also have set themselves up for the future. I mean, they've played an average of 74 players per game, which equals to 52 reserves. That only can help the future. I think that's a good indicator of where the program is. Uh, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we're you know, success leads to more success because you're getting these guys needed reps. And I think that only is going to benefit Michigan in the long run, especially as they cycle out some of these top level players next year uh, when, when they could be drafted and off to the NFL. They're going to have to have some of these guys step up. And some of them already have. I mean, look at Keon Sab. I mean, he had a pick six. And, um, and you're starting to see some of these younger guys uh, make an impact. 
Yeah. And some of the younger guys are the stars, right? I mean, make no yeah. mistake about yeah. it. Will Mason Johnson, Graham. Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant. Right. Uh, so, uh, so the, the, I mean, some some were already in the playing rotation. I don't know how loud that was. My dog getting off the couch and was it quite loud? Very good. Okay, yeah. he needed he just needed to to, to make his presence known. Um, and yeah, I mean, well, your point your point is well taken in that you can say what you want about the the, the schedule and, and the opponents. It's not Michigan's fault that the Big Ten opponents are nowhere near the same stratosphere. Uh, and, they're all in the same league. They're in the same conference. They're all trying to get the same players and do the, and do the same things. Um, it, where it's when you're playing UNLV in East Carolina, that's where you can say, all right, we, we want, we want to see some power five competition of, of some sort. But what Jim Harbaugh is alluding to is that Michigan's not just winning. They are getting better. They're looking more dominant. They are seeing all, all the signs of a well-rounded football team. Even last week, one penalty, Technically, it was two, but it was not a team penalty when they kicked the ball out of bounds. Uh, I, I don't know why that did not count on the team penalties. And then there was a hold late in the fourth quarter. Um, but, I mean, no penalties. Uh, I mean, they have not allowed an opponent to get in – to see a first and goal situation. 313 plays. No no, no, no one has been inside their 10-yard line. I need to look back. I'm not sure an opponent's been in the red zone, Reiner. I think maybe a couple snaps inside the 20 – but not many. No, no, and uh, no, that was Nebraska was definitely inside the red zone. They were, they were there um, for sure. I mean, it was like, uh, uh, but I mean, it's, your point stands. I mean, this this team has been dominant, and again, has reached a high level already, and looks like their championship material at this time. And so, you know, M- Michigan has outscored opponents seventy six to nothing in the third quarter. I think that's indicative of the fact that they are coaching well, um, you know, and making the kind of necessary adjustments at halftime. And also it's indicative of a team that has uh, a strategy that is malleable, uh, you know, after where they can adjust uh, based on the halftime, you know, uh, or based on what the other team is doing in the first half. And so I think, I think Michigan is uh, in a position where they can, uh, you know, again, be flexible and do things that other teams can't do because of how well run the system is uh, and how well they know it. And it's, it's been beneficial uh, for, for the Wolverines, you know, beyond uh, just, just the opponents they're playing, but, you know, what they can take into practice and adjust to. That's how the skill level ascends so quickly, right? When you are, when you are, I mean, I mean, it sounds cliche. And when we hear them say it every week, you know, iron sharpens iron and like, we're all going against each other. I mean, Michigan is playing itself in practice every single week. Keon Sab and DJ Waller and these, and these younger guys in the secondary are, are, uh, are trying to accomplish things and, and, and make their way onto the team, make their way onto the field and, and make a name for themselves which they are. And so it's just as Michigan, that that's how you're able to even see like in the second half when, when they're making these adjustments, even as you're bringing in new faces or what have you, I mean, the talent is better. They they've been, I mean, it's been better all week. It's been more prepared all week and they've been seeing better. And so I, I just think it, it, it all works hand in hand. And one thing Elston was crediting was, I mean, he also said their conditioning. I know we, yeah. everyone continues to talk about, 
uh, Ben Herbert. Um, I guess I can't say I disagree with him because he's the coach. So he would know he would know way better than me. But it seems that it's I mean, I don't know if you're if you're that gassed fresh in the third quarter. Right. I would I would think that's a fourth quarter step, I guess, is my point. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. where you would think it's just conditioning. We just can can ride through in third quarter seems like, oh, this is when we talk. This is when we made our schematic adjustments and this is how we handle it. And sure, more talent just sort of eventually imposing your, your will. Right, right. And I think, again, if when you have a – I agree with the conditioning, but I do think it's also very much scheme-based. I mean, uh, particularly the defensive scheme. And that I think they understand it so well at this point in year three of the system that they can, uh, they can make the adjustments necessary. And it's not, it's, it's not too hard for them to execute because they just know it's just one more lever in the system that they can just pull uh, – and help them get through, you know, whatever challenging situation that they're that they're faced with, uh, or w- that another team presents. So I think again, they've been able to find, you know, or reach this level of accelerated learning as far as the system is concerned, and be able to apply it for these second half adjustments, which is why they're outscoring team seventy six to nothing in the third quarter. We detailed yeah. it Monday, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I think the best example was against the run game this last week. Yeah, rushes right. for 70 yards. They keep running stretch plays, move Chris Jenkins outside yeah. wide to that to that nine tech, keep everything inside, fu- funnel it, and just stay gap-oriented. Third quarter, eight rushes for seven yards. I mean, sometimes it is just – it's that simple. That was just last week. Um, and last year uh, against Indiana, I know this is last year. If you remember, it was 10 to 10. Uh, when Indiana just kept beating them to death with the, with these bubble screens out wide, it was the only way they could move the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Indiana might have had 15 yards in the second half. Like it was it was just nothing. And uh, and, and this year, I expect, frankly, even less. Um, potentially early because of that OC switch, maybe we could see uh, some wrinkles and just not knowing what to expect. But um, we, I think we both know which way this this game is going to go. And uh, but we'll see if that's enough to cover, uh, I believe, what is their, certainly their largest spread in Big Ten play. I think it's tied to their largest spread of the season or, or, or right around where it closed. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to bring in Andrew Burkle uh, as we look at all the picks, uh, starting with Michigan. Uh, so don't go anywhere. That's on the other side. You're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. Another winning week for our Andrew Burkle. Andrew, this is why we kept you around. I knew we weren't gonna we weren't gonna jump ship just because you you started slow. You promised you promised some winners, and uh, and you are delivering, my friend. Uh, it's crazy. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I just I just keep winning. Uh, it's it's like a little bit like my fantasy teams this year. They're they're all working out in fantasy football. Uh, but I also just got hit with a ravage of injuries. So I'm expecting it to turn here as well uh, soon as uh, in the picks world. So in the meantime, I'll I'm keep, uh, keep doing it. what I've been doing. I keep going to keep doing what I've been doing. Uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, so, yeah. 
I'm like the push the push tush right now. Everyone's trying no, to stop so it. No one knows we, how. One quick comment. Speaking of push, I think you've been on the right side of all three pushes, and I've been on the wrong side <laughs> of all three pushes. Uh, when you, you really when you get right in. wrong. Oh, I think when, when Maryland is up 10 nothing and gets outscored 37-7 to close it for just an egregious push, uh, that oh my god. And then Notre Dame, you've heard my 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 spiels. All right, let's let's see what this light looks like. All right, we are going to start with the Wolverines as we always do. 33 and a half point favorites against Indiana. Uh Tony, we'll start with you. Who do you got in this one? Michigan. Um I think this one might be the, the most lopsided yet. Last week when we were talking about Minnesota, uh, we saw the number was, I think it was 19. We were like, 19? Like, that doesn't look like nearly enough. And then we were talking, like, how much would you need? I was like, oh, 28. And I still don't think that's even really close. Uh, I would need I would need 40, 40 points. And I still don't think if it was 40 on the number, I'm still concerned. I think it might be 42 to 3. So maybe it's 39. Um, but... I like Michigan just so much better in every way. This will be over quick. Yeah, I like I like Michigan as well. I mean, again, the the fact that they're have had so much turnover and so much volatility uh, during the bye week, getting rid of Walt Bell as the OC and putting in Rod Carey. Uh, you know, you, they've had a, they had a quarterbacks change at the beginning of the year. Uh, they're using Taven Jackson, and you know, he's. Well, had, I, I want to be clear, Ryan. Reiner, sorry to, to yeah. interrupt. Terrible podcasting. They are now re- again in a quarterback controversy. So Taven Jackson took over at what at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and it's Brendan Soresby who who came in last week. Who okay? Or, or, or I guess I guess before the buy. Um, okay. But your your point your point. I mean, you're. I'm yeah. not correcting you. I'm just I'm just saying it's that you you're right about the battle. But Taven was just. For what it's worth, was was sort Tom of. Allen said this week. Just just saying, so you know, I read Tom Allen said this week that Jackson's Jack. going to be the starter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, but they, you know, they've had so much volatility on that side of the football. Right. Then you combine uh, the fact that they really have not been the same Indiana program since Penix and Kalen DeBoer left. Uh, this thing has been slowly eroding, and Michigan in. in uh, has been like the inverse of Indiana. Obviously, since that 2020 result, that was pretty shocking when they lost to Indiana, has been just on a steady rise and is just so much better in every facet of the game. So I think that this game is going to be over rather quickly. Uh, I don't think uh, Michigan's going to be challenged as much, and especially their, the fact that they're executing at such a high level as indicative or as it was indicated in the, uh, in the Nebraska and Minnesota victories. I may be overthinking this one a little bit. Um, that can happen. Um, but looking at Michigan's home slate, they they had East Carolina. They scored 30 points at East Carolina. 35 at home against UNLV. 31 at home for Bowling Green. 31 at home against Rutgers. So I, my working theory here is that maybe Michigan, this is, you know, their schedule is weak. Everyone knows this. This Michigan team is way overqualified, but they are getting better. So that's what scares me a little bit. However, I think that the going on the road helps them focus a little extra. Uh, you know, you got you got a Big Ten caliber uh, opponent on the road. I just think that you know, if this game is thirty-eight to seven, Michigan does not cover. That's a lot of points for a Big Ten caliber point, opponent. You know, you saw it last week with Ohio State uh, against Maryland. They're better than Maryland. You know, they they got better athletes. 
it's still the Big Ten. Um, Indiana has all kinds of weird problems and, and different issues, but they have some. They've had some uh, close games on their schedule as well. Uh, they got blown out against Maryland, but they did uh, lose twenty-one to fourteen to Louisville, um, who now looks on a better. goal line stand. They, on a goal line stand, yeah. They played Louisville really close, and that and now that's looking like a better win or a better, I guess, loss, I should say. Uh, and then Ohio State was twenty-three to three in in week one. So with the exception of Maryland. They've played the good teams relatively tough. So 33 and a half. Um, you guys already took Michigan before I could even write anything down. So uh, that's my spin zone here for why Indiana might cover. Fair enough. Tony? Remember, Ohio State, Ohio State, that was week one, right? I mean, Ohio, like, yeah. they were just getting their feet under them. I don't think that's a 23 to three game if they see each other today. And that's fair. Um, I just think that 33 and a half in the Big Ten play is, is a lot of points um, compared hey, to 19 or whatever you. it was last week. So. All right, let's move on to obviously the game of the week, maybe one of the games of the year here. Uh, Oregon at Washington. Uh, these two teams had a dog fight last year. Uh, expect another one this year. Oregon is a three-point underdog at Washington. Uh, Reiner, who are you taking in this one? I'm taking Washington. I just feel, uh, you know, it's a home game. That's a tough environment to play in. Uh, uh, most teams, you know, struggle in that kind of loud environment. It's one of the one of the tougher Pac-12 uh, places to play and then you yeah factor in that uh i i feel like that this is an offense that uh any defense will struggle against including even organs uh with with what DeBoer and Penix have been able to dial up those receivers are really good um and uh yeah i just uh, yeah, I, I know that oregon i think is you know become one of the more complete teams in college football but i just think that the the home environment and everything else, and the fact that DeBoer is such a good OC and being able to scheme things up, he's going to find something in Oregon that he'll be able to exploit and uh, uh, be able to kind of carry Washington to the finish line in this case. I'm not so sure. Uh, as much as I like Washington uh, this this year, and it is, uh, I mean, I like them being at home. I like everything they've done uh, short of, a semi-lackluster opponent or week against Arizona, and Arizona's actually been better than uh, than many thought this year. Um, I mean, they, they've been a very complete team so far this season. And when you have the offense, I mean, just I mean, Michael Penix is thrown for two thousand yards. I guess it's one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, right? But in I mean, I mean, he's just uh, just aerial assaulting downfield, four hundred yards a game. Uh, however, Oregon and the run game. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Bucky Irving. I'm looking at Jordan James, uh, who who both average eight yards a carry. As a team, Oregon is averaging better than seven yards a carry. They have 16 rushing touchdowns in five weeks. And so what's the best way to stop a Washington offense? Don't let them on the field. Control the ball. Bonex has done a wonderful job of not turning the ball over this year. 15 touchdowns, one interception. He turns into a pumpkin on the road. I'm going to give him I don't know I'm going to give him a reprieve. Just don't just just manage this game. Oregon has a better defense. Oregon has a better run game. You can control this game on the on, as long as you don't let it get out ahead of you. Washington's going to score quick, not necessarily early, but they will hit quick. Absorb it, handle it. Oregon their and their Pac-12 uh, title march really starts this week. God, I want nothing more than Bo Nix to come back and backfire on Tony after his impassioned speech earlier this year about Bo Nix on the road and how bad he is on the road. And now you pick him. That'd be, uh, that'd be, well, he's been better this year. He's been better this year. 
Oh, he has been better, but still, it's still a huge spot on the road. Um, Oregon, Oregon's schedule has been, they haven't really been tested yet. Portland State, Texas Tech was 38 to 30, and Texas Tech is not, not that good. Hawaii, Colorado, who was just a terrible mismatch for Colorado, and then Stanford. Um, so Oregon has not been totally tested yet this year. I, I do love their absolute dudes in the trenches. I mean, that's got to be what Washington's going to have to overcome. But, you know, as USC looks more shakier and, and more shakier every week here, this this game likely is going to determine who's going to have that top seed in the and, and could be a determining factor in who makes it to the Pac-12 championship game uh, more than we ever initially thought here. So I, I, I initially jotted down Oregon. Um, because like I said, I love their O-line, their D-line, their run game. Um, they're kind of just sort of the the Michigan of the West now, which is crazy because when you used to think about Oregon, you think about, you know, Dennis Dixon and speed and their running backs. They always had some track star at running back and some like weird like slot slot receiver. They always had speed. Well, now they're kind of known for the trenches, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to ultimately outscore Washington. That offense is one of, if not the top unit in all of college football. So I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately going to ride with their offense. Michael Penix, uh, they beat Oregon last year at Oregon. Both teams, I think, are better than they were last year. But I think Washington has also improved like Oregon has. So uh, I'm riding with the Huskies. They get an extra week of prep uh, off the bye week here as well. So both teams do. But uh, I'm fine giving up the three points, and I think I, I take Washington this one. Quick bonus stat. 77.6% completion percentage, six touchdowns, no interceptions in two road games this season, both power five games at Texas Tech, at Stanford. So if you can call Stanford, Stanford is hardly power five anymore. Technically, technically. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Reiner, next game up. Speaking of USC, at Notre Dame, the old school rivalry here. Notre Dame, a two and a half point favorite uh, at home. Who do you got in this one? I'm taking USC. I know it's strange because I'm not a fan of their defense, and I feel like they've been revealed as somewhat fraudulent, uh, as as Tony uh, predicted they would be from from the get go. I think, and so uh, I've kind of come over to his side on that. But I just feel like Notre Dame just doesn't have the firepower to match up with them uh, and go toe to toe with them. I feel like you know Caleb Williams has been bailing them out, uh, and. Uh, will continue to do so. I mean, Brendan Rice, those guys, I mean, are really uh, formed a connection. And uh, I, I just see that continuing in, uh, in South Bend. I don't, you know, I, I mean, uh, the conditions I don't think are, are enough to, to phase them. I mean, it'll be a little colder than they're used to out there. But I think, uh, you know, the offense will still be able to transfer over to, to Notre Dame Stadium and, and such. And so I, I do... I'm going to go with USC here just because I lost confidence in Notre Dame. They've they've kind of been through a, the ringer the last three weeks, uh, losing to Louisville and Ohio State and barely holding on against Duke. And so, uh, yeah, I just I feel like USC um, can go in there and and steal the win. I don't love Marcus Freeman in a tight spot. Um, however, I've just I've just been waiting on 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 USC's demise. Uh, not that I actually really, I don't have anything against USC. Uh, Caleb Williams is actually a ton of fun to play, but I guess maybe that's not true because I do fundamentally have things against uh, teams that don't play defense, uh, teams that don't tackle, teams that don't do things fundamentally sound in football, but just mm-hmm. rely on just athleticism and we have the best player and that's going to be enough. There are days it's not enough. And 
uh, road games at Notre Dame Stadium against uh, against a Notre Dame team that I mean is still fighting for a power like one of those big six bowl game bursts. I mean, they still got. I mean, there's enough left on the schedule. If they beat USC, certainly. I mean. Not many te- like that. I mean, that, then you then you got to win over Duke. You got to win over USC. I'm not I'm not putting them in the college football playoff. That that's they're, they're done. They're done. Uh, however, they, they're still there's still plenty to play for. And uh, this is when USC slide begins. Uh, Notre Dame. This Notre Dame schedule has been absolutely brutal. I mean, first of all, it wasn't it wasn't you know a super tough game, but they opened the season over in uh, overseas, and I can't remember was it in Maybe. it was in. Ireland was it Ireland or was it, it was in the UK yeah, Ireland, Ireland Ireland yeah Ireland yeah <laughs> against Navy so not exactly the easiest way to start off the season they killed them no big deal they played NC State they played and then they started the tough games after Central Michigan they played Ohio State then they played at Duke survived that one then they played at Louisville and it just seems like to me when I was watching that game, like everything kind of just caught up to to Notre Dame after that Duke uh, nail biting win, uh, the the Ohio State game that they lost on a, a devastating last second fashion. This may burn me, but I'm sticking with Notre Dame. I, I I just I I don't know why. I just think that they are not as as bad as they as their record has shown so far. Um, they're they they're they're weird because they're not they're not super well coached. But I still like their style, and it's tough to beat. It's almost a contract uh, contrasting style to USC, like you said, Tony, where it's like they're run and gun and score. Um, I, I think that that's kind of the matchup that that could catch USC. And after watching them last week, I, I stayed up, unfortunately, until whatever that was, like 2.30 in the morning as they barely beat uh, Arizona, right? Yeah, it was also Arizona. Um, those I got confused because that's who Washington played last as well, but they had the bye week. So, yeah, they barely survived against Arizona. Uh, just, but it's like watching Caleb Williams. It's like watching Mahomes in that Super Bowl against the Bucks, where it feels like it's like eleven on zero sometimes, and their only strategy is like, okay, just snap it back to Caleb Williams. He'll figure it out. I think it catches up to him in a tough spot at Notre Dame, uh, and, and a really big game for Notre Dame as well. That's the other thing, like you said, this is this is huge. After this, the only tough game left on their schedule is at Clemson, Pitt at home. Uh, after a bye week, they they could win that. They have Wake Forest at home, and then at Stanford to end the season. I mean, that's. That should be a win. So uh, the toughest part of their schedule is behind them after this game, and I think this could be a launching point to another ten and two, nine and three Notre Dame season. One key point, uh, one key stat to watch this week uh, again is Audric Estime, Notre Dame's running back, or one thing I'm looking at. In the first three weeks, he led the country in rushing yards on first down attempts. I think he's like one fifteenth or 120 now in, in the, in the last three weeks. And so Notre Dame has been off script. They're not, they're not getting those five, six, seven yard uh, plays early on. And that sort of set them back. So um, just look, so, and USC doesn't tackle, right? So I, I, I like for that run game to, to, to get going. Uh, good, good observation there. So mm-hmm. uh, final game here, the fight in Mario Cristobal's and you uh, Miami versus UNC. Uh, at UNC, only three and a half point uh, spread here. Uh, so you probably can you probably can guess where I'm going at based on this tone here. But uh, Reiner, we'll start with you. Uh, who, who you got in this last game here? Yeah, I just I feel I mean no. Well, UNC is a better team overall anyway. And then you add in the fact that you're just coming off a debilitating loss to Georgia Tech, where your coaching staff basically betrayed you as players. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they recover from that necessarily in time to face uh, 
a team like North Carolina on the road with a you know pretty powerful offense and such. And I don't know. I just it, the the feeling there is just. I mean, it was probably going to be North Carolina even before the situation against Georgia Tech unfolded. But now it's I'm pretty much squarely in the corner that North Carolina with that. All right, Reiner. If uh, my rant on Monday uh, meant anything, then I don't need to say anything other than North Carolina. Um, I don't think Mario Cristobal should, should even have a job right now for for what he did last week. So um, North Carolina, cover. I was going to make a joke that uh, the coach who Tony thinks shouldn't even be employed, Mario Cristobal. Uh, but three and a half points is not that much. I mean, I think North Carolina – could be three and a half points on a neutral site. Now they have Miami coming to uh, coming to Chapel Hill, and they get to play uh, after this devastating uh, loss. Where basically, like Reiner said it best, was betrayed by their own coaching staff. I thought that was a hilarious way of putting it. But uh, so I just I don't think they can overcome that that devastating thing. Perfectly exemplified by the Hurricanes players sitting on the bench yelling, "What are we doing?" Um, so. <laughs> It's just not enough time to overcome this, and I think it gets things get worse for Miami before they get better here. And also, Tez Walker is playing, so it only helps only helps yeah. UNC's cause. So yeah, I mean the fact that he's been ruled eligible and is ready to go not good for Miami. Speaking of UNC, are we underrating them as a potential college football playoff team? L- listen to the rest of their schedule, Miami. Okay, we both we all think that should be a win. Virginia, Georgia Tech, Campbell, Duke at home, Clemson, and then North North Carolina State. Well, then uh, it would have to come down to it'll come down to the ACC title game against Florida State. That yeah, that's so basically because there's no there's no divisions anymore, right? It's just top two records. They could be undefeated, possibly. They could be undefeated, and I don't think anyone's. I mean, I don't think North Carolina is some buzzsaw unbeatable team, but. They might they might pull an old school Iowa and and back their way as a twelve zero team into the conference championship game and force themselves into that national conversation because uh, maybe Duke uh, at but they get Duke at home that helps a lot Clemson I mean Clemson is not that good I, I just I don't think that's that tough of a schedule they could easily no, be twelve zero and I think worst case scenario eleven one undefeated in a power conference late in the season i mean you're gonna you're gonna be certainly right right in the thick of the conversation um this three and a half number scares me a little bit against miami i would have thought it would be like six so i really don't like when a numbers that's why when a numbers numbers that far off i don't i don't like that but um i i think they should probably still do it and you're right uh north carolina is certainly gonna gonna be one of the teams uh to to keep an eye on but uh we definitely got to cut it there because that wraps up our football talk um We're going to get a little bit into some Michigan basketball. The season uh, is just around the corner. So let's preview it. This is Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, Reiner, there will be a time and a place to do a full basketball deep dive, uh, look ahead at the season and break it down X's and O's and everything that Michigan has done in, in this offseason uh, to revamp and, and, and revitalize. Uh, but for now, we're just going to touch on uh, a, a few things that, that we think are going to be pretty important and factors going into the season. Yep, you had a long, long stay in uh, Minneapolis. So, uh, what were your takeaways after uh, getting exposed to basketball following the uh, following the uh, Michigan victory over the Gophers? Yeah, well, my my first thought uh, was about Juwan Howard uh, and mm-hmm. his his health. Um, certainly, uh, the first thing Saudi Washington said uh, yeah. is that he's doing well, which is first things first. That's certainly everybody's uh, primary concern, uh, and that he is recovering on schedule. However, there is still no timetable for his return. Um, at, at the time when he went, underwent um, this heart surgery on September 15th, it was a six to 12 week timeline. That would be somewhere between late October, like October 27th and early mid-December, December 8th. Uh, Michigan's first Big Ten game is December 5th against Indiana. And uh, <laughs> I think it's funny. How many questions, how much time did we spend about uh, when we were talking about Jim Harbaugh's suspension the first three weeks about the coaching shuffle and, oh, what's it going to be like and how's the team going to respond and what's it going to look like on game day? Well, if we thought that was going to play a factor in the season, that was just the non-conference when it is a weak non-conference, not a non-conference that has tournaments in the Bahamas, that sees Oregon, what have you, right? But also... Juwan Howard does not have contact with his team right now. I mean, that is doctor's orders, right? To Mm -hmm. just rest. You are on your, I mean, not literal bed rest. He is going, he's up and about the house. uh, As his son, Jace Howard told us yesterday uh, or Tuesday, I should say. Um, But, but I mean, he's, he's not leading the team, right? So he, I mean, think about the, how, how different that is. He's going to just come in and the hope is he can still be back. Um, but by, I mean, maybe still, maybe still UNC Asheville by the opener, maybe Northwood, the, the, the exhibition, maybe Asheville. I mean, but, but the, no one said anything. I I'm just saying technically that's not ruled out, but, um, but yeah, I mean the, all the things and, and, and the layers that need to change within a coaching staff when your, when your head coach is gone. Um, I mean, Saudi Washington now putting his emphasis on the defense, Howard Isley putting his emphasis on the offense uh, and Phil Martelli serving, serving as that, as, as that, that father figure, that CEO. But what they did say uh, also as, as it pertains to, to Howard's health is that um, they're really glad they have this staff continuity, right? Five years all together. Um, so, uh, and Saudi said that Juwan Howard in the past has empowered his staff to speak up. It is not just a Juwan led team and they all follow. Yes, they follow in his vision, but they're all, um, they're all voices. And so players are not just hearing their voices, well, uh, for the, for the first time. I mean, is, is it crazy to think, I mean, I mean, Martelli, uh, no offense to Juwan Howard is a more accomplished coach than Juwan Howard. So oh, he's I, a hall I, of famer. Yeah. He's a hall and, of famer. And so, I mean, it's not like they're, they've got some, you know, nobody on the sideline directing <laughs> right. them, you know. And so I think, you know, I mean, in that case, I mean, it, it could be, uh, you know, they, they, it could be business as usual. If not, you know, they might be able to do some things more, you know, because Phil Martelli is there and be able to adjust better than uh, in, in a normal situation where you are missing your head coach for that extended period of time with a roster in transition. So I think in 
general. I mean, I think it's actually not such a bad thing that Phil Martelli is kind of helping the team ease through this transition because he might be able to figure out things just based on his massive amount of experience uh, going forward. Right. Well, it's certainly not a bad thing to have Phil. I just, I, I, I would never, um, I mean, and I know you're obviously not talking about the health. That is a bad thing. But just, just um, a head coach being away from a team, uh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't like <laughs> at, at, at any time. Certainly not. I mean, this is when, I mean, when you're not playing two games a week, right? I mean, you are practicing three or five, five days a week and like you're installing a lot. And you just talked about it. Talk about the roster turnover. This is a roster that graduates or loses, um, not just not actually none of it's a graduation, um, but Hunter Dickinson to the transfer portal, Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard to the NBA. 71% of its offense or of its scoring in total. And then when you add in Joey Baker, who at one point did say he was looking to come back for another season of eligibility, um, he did not. He was one of their best three point shooters. It is their top four three point shooters. And, uh, 70, 77% of their production from behind the arc. So, I mean, you said it. Uh, then that is why just another reason um, on top of the fact that he is the leader of this program and you want John Howard. And yet maybe there are some questions about the trajectory of this program and how things ha- have gone. Uh, I mean, certainly last year they missed the NCAA tournament for just the second time in 15 years. John Howard was the AP coach of the year in 2021. Right. He I mean, he led, he led uh, his team to a, to an elite eight. Um, they were two points away from a final four. And yeah, now you can say uh, that a lot of it was uh, John Beeline's players and, uh, and and what has happened since then. I think that might be a separate argument. It is not some John Howard is not some bum who does not know how to coach. Right. And I'm not saying you were implying that, but just uh, it is not good overall when, when when there's there's this much flux. But 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 having Phil there uh, is 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 super impactful but just when you're when you're replacing this much and you're trying to bring in these transfers right we talk about Olivier Nakuma or Kumwa excuse me from Tennessee you talk about Trey Jackson from Seton Hall you talk about uh Namari Burnett from Alabama I mean they committed to Juwan right I mean especially especially Namari Burnett who uh who uh played with Jace Howard uh in AAU uh in in third grade long-standing relationship with the Howard family no, I mean obviously that that's that's for sure. But I mean I'm just saying like for for given the circumstances, as as bad as they are as it relates to Juwan Howard, I mean they do have this amount of sideline experience with with uh, Phil Martelli, and you know he's he's you know taken rosters uh, that are probably worse than what Michigan currently has, and made them into you know viable NCAA tournament teams, and so it's like. Uh, I mean, th- this guy is uh, uh, a hu- could be a huge asset uh, given the situation that they're encountering. And, uh, you know, again, they've got a lot to figure out with the fact that Hunter Dickinson is gone. I mean, they ran a lot of their offense through him. He was the uh, I mean, you know, again, he was involved in, you know, pretty much every possession uh, you know, as much as they could get him the ball. And so now you're taking that away from them. Uh, and they kind of have to kind of figure that out. Um, and also, you know, obviously losing Buffkin, I think, uh, was huge because, I mean, he was really coming into his own, especially in the second half of the last season. And uh, it would have been nice for them to actually have had him just for this, the, the, you know, this year to see him in full, full bloom uh, like he was towards the, end of the, towards the end of the year. And so now they, they've got to figure that out. And, 
um, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be interesting, especially since uh, you know the power forward position probably going to be a point of strength this year, whereas last year it was a weakness. Yeah, and versatility was the word that Saudi used over and over again. He said Doug McDaniel, uh, who we're going to talk about in, in just a minute here, is the only player who will not play multiple positions this year. Every mm-hmm. single other player will play either two, three, three, four. I mean, some three, four, five. I mean, like Trey Jackson, he did not rule out playing like a three, four, five type, right? I mean, if you're going small, if you're going big, um, di- well, di- di- different things. There's a lot of positionless basketball anyway, and that's where yeah. it's trending towards. So, I mean, maybe you know, again, yeah, that's the one thing I've always wondered is like, when is really Michigan going to become more of like the NBA teams that Juwan Howard really came from? I mean, and maybe you know, this is a year where they can they can kind of move towards that end where they're not, you know, playing kind of a little bit more of the old school system where, you know, again, you throw it into the post player and let him go to work and, you know, fish it out and, and kind of what Juwan Howard played in college basketball when he was at Michigan uh, back in the nineties. I mean, it's. uh, Yeah. 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 It'll be interesting to see uh, if they can do some of this, you know, again, positionless basketball and, Maybe, uh, uh, but again, they, they, the interesting thing will be what, what they do with Terrace Reed and, and uh, also as, as, as is he going to be a focal point in the offense or is he just going to be there for, for defense, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if this was just like a reflex from Saudi Washington, but he said Michigan still will play through the post. Now, it's not going to be like with Hunter last year, but they still they will try to feature Terrace a little bit. Uh, and the question is, can there be a little bit of addition by subtraction, right? And what I mean is there were so many mouths to feed and uh, and who did things in different ways. Michigan wanted to play through the post, but Jet Howard was a phenomenal one-on-one scorer in his own right. Um, but at times, it seemed as if maybe that took away from, from what the offense did. Not that he was not maybe the first or mo- second most talented player, but just and – and I'm not just pinning that on him, right? Sa- sa- same with Hunter, right? Maybe sometimes – I mean, the, the team was too insistent early in the season in particular on just, please, Hunter, save us, right? And so now – there, there, there is a little bit of a different role, and and guys are going to have to. I mean, everyone collectively, Olivier Kamwa is the only player who has averaged double digit figures at the Power Five level, right? So everyone collectively is going to have to step up and step into a bigger role. And two of the guys I'm looking to do that: Doug McDaniel, Terrace Reed Jr. Uh, I mean, you talk about Kobe Bufkin and his sophomore step, right? It's they always say. Uh, it's one of the worst adages in sports that the biggest uh, change in college athletics comes between year one and year two, right? And I mean, Bufkin went from 10-minute rotational player to Michigan's best two-way player and lottery draft pick, right? So there can be serious, serious leaps that, that are made during this season. And um, and I think Doug McDaniel already started on very good footing last year. Um, if I had to pick one most bright spot of last year, it would be Doug McDaniel. And it was awful circumstances that thrust him into that fire when Jalen Llewellyn tears his ACL game nine. Uh, and then now, there, and there's no other backup point guard. It is, hey, here, true freshman, start 25 straight games uh, going into Big Ten play with with five non-conference games left. Good luck. And yeah, he did well, really well. He averaged 10 a game and had a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he's obviously a key player. I, I think they're they're going to have some issues, though, obviously, when it comes to outside shooting. I mean, if they are going to play any kind of 
uh, basketball that resembles anything close to what the NBA is and, and maybe move a little bit away from the post post play. I mean, they're going to have to get some outside shooting and I don't know if they have that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can come up with, but I mean, you know, that's just, you know, sometimes natural ability and it's hard to develop over the course of the season. I mean, you either have it or you don't. And I don't know if they have it. Yeah, I asked Saudi about that specifically. That one felt like an answer he walked around in particular, right? I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, I mean, you lose four four very good shooters, right? I mean, I mean, Kobe Bufkin started the season horrifically. He still mm-hmm. finished like the first four games. He mm-hmm. still finished at like a 39% three-point shooter. I mean, he was well, 40. Well, Dickinson was draining threes. I D- mean, Dickinson again, was, four, was 42%. He began his career, no three-pointers, mm-hmm. you know, his first year. Like, none. Like, uh, zero, literally zero. Yeah, zero. yeah. And, you know, he became a 40, an, an asset on the outside. Like, he could step back. Who do they have that can do that? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the question they, is, who they have is Trey Jackson. Trey yeah. Jackson. Uh, that that is why they brought him in as as the as the true classic stretch four. Uh, he mm-hmm. shot thirty nine percent on more than one hundred and fifty three pointers across the last two seasons at Seton Hall. Um, he actually had a very nice junior year. Then there was a staff change uh, going into his senior season, um, and his, his role it saw his role change. So his numbers were. A, a tick down, but I think Michigan thinks that they can actually two ticks up, right? I think that they, they think they have something there. My concern about the shooting would be uh, Namari Burnett. Um, I mean, I mean, he he was a wonderful kid. I really enjoyed getting to meet him uh, on, on Tuesday, actually, and ho- hoping for nothing but the best for him. But I mean, just statistically, you're a shooting guard who shoots 32% on threes, right? And that was when you were playing for Alabama, and there were a number of of people who who needed who who took dyes off you, right? Who's draw Who is drawing that 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 attention on this team right now? I'm not sure there is anyone. Certainly not on the perimeter, at least proven, right? Like Yusuf Kaya, um, maybe he can step in and, and 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 shoot a little better. Terrence Williams, circle that name. I am. I would wager a lot of money that his three-point shooting will look a lot more like two years ago than last year. I mean, last year was dreadful. He was 25% on threes, um, but he just lost his confidence. Um, I imagine that's what he'll say. That was my perception. I will be doing a Terrence Williams story later because I think there's a really fascinating story there. Um, I mean, he just lost it last year. He just lost it. Well, and if he can, and if he can, if they don't ask him to do too much, right, just ask him to do what he's capable of. I think you'll, you'll yeah, get but, but, but then you have also, you know, Reed's issues at the free throw line. I mean, a lot of points that Dickinson scored were, were at the free throw line. And, you know, Reed seemed to get a little bit better towards the end, but I don't know if he's that good of a free throw shooter to, to mitigate uh, all the, uh, the, the effect of what, what, what it would take to, you know, just, just kind of hack it, hack him at, at will for a defense, you know, to, to feel comfortable enough to just let him, you know, or, or play, play off of him, you know, they, they might play aggressively towards him because, uh, you know, they might, they might want to draw him to the free throw line. It's just yeah. reality. And so like, you know, I mean, uh, maybe he's approved that aspect of his game in, in the off season, but that's some, that's a, something I would watch, especially since he's going to be getting a lot of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dickens had three and a half free throws a game, but um, three and a half made free throws a game. He attempted four and a half or five. And if Reed is temp- attempting five, that might only be two made free throws, right? It was he was 40% last year. So mm-hmm. uh, you hope it's three. If you can get him to 60%, if you're Michigan, you'll take it. You'll take it and run. 
if Terrace Reed Jr. can make 60% of his free throws. But he also needs to do uh, is stay on the court. Um, I mean, foul trouble really plagued him last year. And there's no there's no Hunter to, to, to sort of come save you. And if he's, got, if he's not on the floor, uh, I mean, they might have to go small ball five with Will Cheddar at the five, right? And so it's just there's, there's a lot of different things uh, that can happen. Um, I guess to put a ball on the, on the Michigan basketball talk, do you see a path where this team can, can get to the NCAA tournament? Uh, in the unofficial media poll, they were picked 11th. And Namari Burnett said, I love it. He said, he said, I want, he said, I want to be clear. I love that because not only does that give us room to ex- to exceed expectations, but we can prove something to ourselves. Um, so like, we're not just exceeding your expectations, but now, now we can do it for, to, for us. I mean, the fact that they couldn't make it last year with the, you know, two uh, NBA draft lottery picks, and, yeah. and, and, and an elite center that uh, was coveted by Kansas uh, this this offseason and transfer there makes me skeptical and very dubious about their chances of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, they went to the NIT and then they promptly, well, they lost in the second round, I guess, of, of the NIT. But I mean, it's it, it was not an elite team last year or, or a team that was even NCAA tournament worthy. And this team looks far, far worse from a roster standpoint and a composition standpoint with a lot, a lot of question marks that maybe didn't even exist last year or so. And then you add in the fact that you do have this coaching flux at the beginning of the season, and it just doesn't bode well for them, I think, from a season. But, you know, that's why they played the games. It is. It is. Um, I mean, I'll remind you, last year, uh, North Carolina picked as number one before the season, did not make the tournament. UConn, not ranked. They won it all, right? So you you, you just never know. That said, I think you bring, you bring up a lot of valid concerns. Um, just about the roster construction, how it all fits together, John Howard's health, uh, the timing, just the level of experience that a lot of people will have, the experience they have uh, together, even. Um, but I don't. But I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not picking them to make the tournament, but I would not rule it out because this team will be vastly improved on defense uh, significantly, and you can grind out and win and win a number of games that way. And I th- and I think the other thing. Four and thirteen in games decided by six points or fewer last year. Four and thirteen. Now, I mean that's a concerning trend. You're losing a lot of tight games. That was half their games. Half their games were decided in that in that range. But if you just flip a couple of them, you're in the tournament, right? And that's sort of the mentality I think that Saudi Washington they said they're taking, uh, and and, th- and that you need to go through. Minnesota Vikings. They were eleven and zero in one score games last year, right? They're 0-3 or 0-4 in those right now, right? I mean, water does find its level. Now, you can't just say, oh, we lost those games last year, so we're going to win them now. you got to find the way to win them. And here's my last thought I, and what, what I really took away from, and I'm very impressed by. Michigan has gone through, and Phil Martelli is going through. They are going through every single every single one of those 17 games where they lost by six points or fewer. They are going through the late-game scenarios, going on the practice court, and they are mapping them out. And they are inbounding the ball late. They are they are funneling it to 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 the trap or this or that. They're shooting the free throws right, and so there is an emphasis on that. And uh, they're not the only team emphasizing close wins and 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 focusing on special things. But there are they were I mean they were on the wrong end of those margins in a lot of ways. They had they were in line for a double buy on the final week of the, on the final day of the season, and then they didn't get it. Well, the so, counter the counter argument though is that you have to be in position to even have those close games, and is this team going to be in position to even have the you know the close opportunities? And so I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm really 
I mean, there seems to be a lot of questions as far as the offensive production and whether they can, I mean, and how they would match up with a lot of these teams in the Big Ten. I mean, where does a roster stack up against the, the rest of the Big Ten? You know, they're probably in that 10 or 11 range, you know, when it comes to that. And so, uh, you know, it's good coaching and good execution and maybe finding something that maybe nobody else sees going to be enough to lift Michigan in those games i don't know it's it's uh again this is a there's a huge question mark on this this entire team right now uh that we won't know until probably two or three months into the season about where they really are yep and we will wait but we will start to get those answers slowly but surely and that begins next tuesday at Chrysler Center for Michigan's Media Day. Not Big Ten Media Day, Michigan's Media Day. So we're talking to all the all the assistants, all the players will be made available. And hey, even 45 minutes of practice. Would you look at that? We will get to watch them run a three-man weave once again. It's so exciting. Uh, there's a ton, a ton that we learned. Um, but, so, uh, but, but basketball's here, football's here. We're wrapping it there. Um, and then next week, Reiner... It is Michigan State Week, so uh, no rest for the weary. We're going to power on. Um, and before we we sign out, we got to give our thanks. So, as always, thanks to Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery-Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, Audio Engineer Robin Chan, and who you heard from, Sports Editor and Show Producer Andrew Burkle. Uh, thank you as well, Reiner. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, and tune in next week uh, when we preview Michigan, Michigan State. This is Hale Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.